0: If you're the person who says, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, then this podcast is for you. I'm Suzanne Whitman, and welcome to Podcast Therapy. I love listening to podcasts and sharing them with my friends. But more than that, podcasts have been a place for inspiration, knowledge, and even comfort when I needed to hear my favorite podcasters' voices. I'll highlight the best of the best traveling the podcast globe so you don't have to. Each week, I'll either talk about my favorite podcast, have some conversations and some laughs with friends about their favorite podcasts, and even interview the podcasters themselves. So join me through this journey as we discover why podcasts have become so meaningful to all of us. Join me today as I speak with my guest who studies entomology. Jillian talks about tarantulas, the break in the food supply chain, gender equity in the STEM industry, Hitler, and podcasts. Definitely a recipe for interesting. Stick around.
1: Hey, Jillian. Hi. (laughs) Good to see you. Yes, I'm so excited to be able to participate in this podcast. You know, even before we start to
0: talk about the normal stuff, like I'm going to have you introduce yourself and all of that. Is it true? There's a rumor that you do. You have a podcast.
1: Yes, I actually
0: have two podcasts. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so don't let us forget. So let's start with uh, introduction introduction you can say, you don't have to, well, you have your last name there, so it doesn't really matter. Um, Say whatever you want to say about yourself, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, actually, my name is partially incorrect on the Zoom thing, because it's linked to my school account. Um, It's my legal name, but I was wanting to change my name prior to COVID, but because of COVID, I never got around to it. Uh, But it's Jillian Salkorowski. So I do incorporate my Korean name into my last name, uh, just because to me, my name is very important. I'm really proud of my heritage and I want people to know where I come from and understand my pride in being Korean American. That's awesome. So you're going to get right on that when you can, right? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, the hope is to get it legally changed before I start publishing papers so that it's not harder to find my literature.
0: <laughs> that would be great. So, okay. So people are probably already going, what does she do that she's, you know, going to do all this. So tell us a little bit about what you do right now.
1: Yeah. So currently I am a graduate student studying environmental science and policy. Um, I came into grad school knowing I would do something with spiders because that is what I did in my undergrad. I worked specifically with arthropods, which for anyone who doesn't know, arthropods are any invertebrate with a jointed appendage. Uh, So that includes insects, arachnids, crustaceans, et cetera. So I guess I should backtrack a little bit into my undergrad career. I got started studying these animals because when I came into undergrad my freshman year, my major was animal ecology and I told myself, you have to get relevant experience from the get-go. I really, really want to make sure I get ahead in my field, get all of my experience so that when time comes, I'm going to have this repertoire of skills I can pull from and widen my opportunities. And so I promised myself I would take the first job opportunity related to my fields that I came across. And much to my own surprise, the first job opportunity was to work with the Iowa State University Insect Zoo. And I thought, that's super, super cool. I've worked with insects before. I used to raise praying mantises and butterflies as a kid. But I understand this involves way more than just the bugs I'm comfortable with. So I was a little nervous and I was like, "This is I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna go in for the interview and see what happens. And so I studied really hard for the interview actually because they tell you they're gonna quiz you on a bunch of stuff and see what you know. And so I went in, I had done all these flashcards about the different orders of insects and their families and different facts about them. And the interview was super neat because the point of the interview wasn't necessarily to see what you know, but to see if you were willing to learn more about the animals, because it was something really niche that not a lot of people know about. And then, of course, it not only tested your willingness to learn, but also how comfortable were you handling the creatures and if you were willing to become more comfortable with them. So part of my interview did involve holding a tarantula for the first time. I remember sweating and shaking and being like, I can feel my heart beating out of my chest. And I'm pretty sure the tarantula can tell. The tarantula is probably way more calm than I am right now, but she was super sweet best tarantula ever. I passed my interview and I worked with the insect zoo for about two years um, and I even took up the role of rearing room specialist which means I was the head of the staff and I was in charge of creating a bunch of different protocols or editing protocols around how we take care of our animals, what environment is the best for them and also participating in breeding them and making sure we're getting new animals because most bugs don't live very long. So we want to keep our colonies or our different insects healthy and breeding so that we don't have to keep buying hundreds of dollars more worth of them. So that's where I got my start. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be so long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: let me let me ask you this then. Do you have any idea how many females are um, go into this? Is this something rare Or is it just, you know, 50-50, you know, men and women go into this?
1: My experience, my personal experience is that it's about 50-50 actually. And my advisor too, for my graduate school, he also believes it's about 50-50 at this point, but he has made note that in the higher positions, especially in academia, like professors, it's largely men. So In terms of students, it's 50-50, but in regards to higher positions, it's majority male, which is interesting. Um, But we are facing an interesting turn in academia right now where people are really pushing for progressive movements and equality and equity. So I'm excited to see what academia looks like by the time I'm in the pool for hiring.
0: Where do you envision working once you, so right now you're in the PhD program, did you say? I'm in a master's program applying for PhDs after. Okay. So after you're done with your PhD, where do you envision that you will be and what will you be doing?
1: My goal is to become a professor within the United States. I'd like to stay in the States because my mother wants to see her grandkids, (laughs) but Being a professor in what, I'm not totally sure. I would be happy, more than happy to teach entomology, arachnology, invertebrate ecology. But for my PhD, I'm taking a bit of a turn into humanities and into communication and rhetoric because not only do I love bugs, but I love talking about bugs. I love talking about science. I love teaching people about science. And we've come into an era where we're seeing the gap between people who have had the opportunity to go to school and understand science and understand the scientific process and the other portion of people who have not been given the opportunity to have an education and to learn more about science. And so I've also wanted to become part of the movement to bridge that gap between people. Because what's really great is accessibility to information has exponentially increased within the last decade, two decades or so. But that also is a great source of misinformation too as well. And so how do we fight misinformation? How do we show people that scientists are people too? And that we really want the best for everyone and the best for the planet. Um, But also another reason I would like to go into communication and rhetoric is because in STEM, a lot of our teaching and a lot of our history is rooted in Eurocentrism, which is a lot of our information has come from European scholars and um, scholars that aren't necessarily part of a marginalized group. And so academia is making a push towards this for lack of a better term, sort of revisionist history of science and um, including more marginalized people into our curriculum. Um, One specific example that I am passionate about is landscape management, which when I went to undergrad, landscape management started with like John Muir and Aldo Leopold, but we know that landscape management begins with indigenous peoples and the first people to really alter the land for agriculture and for livestock and whatnot. And so we're seeing finally now in 2021, finally, we're getting around to this idea that the history of the environment starts way, way before colonization which I think is a vastly interesting topic. Um, But yeah, that's part of my reason for wanting to become a professor is to aid in this rewriting of our history and also to make education more accessible to more people. As we find the student demographics are changing and diversifying by the minute, we have more students from different cultural backgrounds and being able to make education, inclusive and accessible to them is also very, very important. So sorry for such a long answer, but (laughs) that's fine. I feel like you might be the next person I call when we talk about
0: critical race theory, but we won't (laughs) go there. Okay. So um, now that we know that what you do, um, let's talk about, and I know that you listen to a, a few podcasts, but if you want to pick one of your favorites, which one would you like to share?
1: My absolute favorite podcast of all time is called Behind the Bastards hosted by journalist Robert Evans. So a lot of people might think like, oh, she's a scientist. She probably loves science podcasts, but most scientists don't want to hear about science in their free time. Like we get enough of that. Um, so my my side geekiness is history. And I, I would kind of say politics as well. So history and politics and the history of politics. So Behind the Bastards is a podcast about the worst people in history, which is very interesting. It doesn't highlight any like great necessarily positive achievements. It talks about some of the worst people and things to ever happen and how and why they happened.
0: So give us an example of one that uh, we might be familiar with. As far as the name of the person.
1: Right. So there's a lot of episodes about Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) But But they cover things that you might not necessarily know about or to debunk some of the myths and misinformation that goes on about Hitler. Because Hitler is one of the most recognizable bad people in history. Right. And so that being said, there's a lot of different information on him that may or may not be true. And so Robert Evans, the host, really dives into the myth, the myths, the facts and he's very, very good at like citing sources and looking for literature that's objective versus subjective. I mean, he's a journalist, so that's his job. And he understands how to properly research those things. So, for example, one of the latest episodes that come out was called Hitler's Drug Problem. So there's this hilarious idea. And it it is, it is true he was on a lot of drugs, but a lot of different sources will say different drugs, like oh, Hitler was on a, a ton of meth and cocaine and all of this stuff. But it actually was Hitler was had a personal doctor who was basically testing all of these different drugs on him without telling him because Hitler found this doctor and the doctor was able to cure his flatulence problem temporarily. Yes, Hitler had a flatulence wow, like problem. Had no idea so much so that he would leave dinners to go relieve himself. Um, (laughs) But because this doctor was able to do that, Hitler was like, great, you're my doctor for life. I need you to keep making me feel not like I need to fart and also just keep me in good shape to lead Germany. And this doctor ended up being really close to Hitler, but Hitler had no idea that the doctor was testing different concoctions of drugs on him, which would include like sheep hormones even, or something along those lines, like some sort of animal hormone or animal um, based product. So yes, Hitler was on drugs. No, it was not like meth and cocaine. It was constantly different cycles of different drugs. That is fascinating. So
0: do you know that, so the host of this podcast, he's, he was a journalist. I mean, did he
1: work for a newspaper or what, how do we know this person? Robert Evans is still a journalist. Um, he, from my understanding, got a large portion of his career jumpstart from Cracked, which is like a humor based website, but also does journalism. And from there he's moved into podcasting and he currently writes for Bellingcat. Okay, And what's really oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. What's really neat about Robert Evans and this kind of ties into my desire to fight misinformation is Robert Evans um, does journalism and some research around misinformation, how it spreads, how does it affect our political spheres, how does it affect our communities, and what makes people vulnerable to misinformation, which I think is a really important aspect that Behind the Bastards often dives into as a podcast. You get these episodes per se about like cults, right? Some of like the worst abusive cults in history, but how did people join those cults? What in them made them want to join those cults? And then Sometimes you think to yourself, well, would I have done that? Would I have joined this cult? Could I have been a vulnerable person in this situation? And it's not necessarily a bad thing if you say yes. It just helps you to recognize where we might fall victim to people who don't have our best interests in mind.
0: Well, and I think that's very relevant today, right? If we, and, and this is not, we're not going to get into politics or anything like that. But as far as when we take a look at the people, I mean, we just went, you know, through the election last year. So when you take a look at the politics within the, within the United States, you take a look at what's happening with the pandemic and how people are siding one way or another. It's fascinating to me why they choose to to side the opposite of where I am. Right. So wherever, whatever that means, whether it is we believe we believe the health providers or we think this is, you know, that COVID is a joke or whatever, or we don't want to get vaccinated because we don't believe it's good for us or whatever the situation is. It's really amazing how incredibly polarized our country is in regards to this pandemic specifically. But also, I mean, going
1: forward, I don't think it's going
0: to change as far as politics.
1: Right. It's very interesting to consider that we've come into this political era that, in my opinion, has never existed before, given I'm relatively young. But within the history of the United States, politically, this is a brand new era and we're still sort of carving the way into what we might see as a new normal Will polarization ever stop? I have no idea, I don't have the answer to that. But I was actually just reading um, an interview with Robert Evans where they were asking him his thoughts on what's happening politically. And he's, he stated the exact same thing that it's become so polarized that both the left and the right are living in two separate realities of what the United States is and what's happening in our modern events that trying to combine those realities or trying to get those realities to see common ground might be impossible currently i don't know if that'll ever change but it's definitely new it's definitely something we as a country are going to have to figure out will we ever figure it out let's hope yes <laughs> but for now it's we're in we're living history Politically, I mean, every, every year is going to be history making, but I think right now really marks a separate point in time. Mm
0: -hmm. I think a lot of people would agree with you, regardless of what side they're on. I have to say that, um, I think we met originally, uh, via online, um, some kind of summit or something that was held through the university that you go to. I think that's where I first met you, so to speak. The second time we had gotten together um, within an Asian professionals group um, and we got to meet in person, uh, we talked a little bit about me podcasting and then you had some um, information to share. But what's really funny is I've been trying to get a hold of you and trying to get your email address and all of that so that we could do this and I wasn't able to. And then someone else brought up at a recent meeting. Um, oh, you should speak to Jillian. No, you should speak to this person I know. She has a podcast. And I was like, what's her name? (laughs) And then they said (laughs) your name. And I was like, wait a minute. I already met her. So (laughs) even more fascinating than this conversation about your favorite podcast, I think a lot of people will be fascinated to know what kind of podcast did you start? What is it about? Um, And maybe we can listen to it.
1: Yeah. So, I, like I said, I have two different podcasts that I've had. Um, one of them, actually, both of them are kind of in an in indefinite hiatus. But the first podcast I had created was called Bugging Out About, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and third party podcast providers, basically, everything except Spotify. And Bugging Out About is about bugs. Um, but it's it's more than just, oh, here's some bug facts. My co-host, Kat Peterson, and I really wanted to bring attention to things people might not know, things that are relevant to modern day people. Um, for example, when you're for Halloween, we did movie reviews of Halloween movies that feature bugs. And what movie was the most accurate? To its representation of bugs and which ones were the least accurate. So I remember being blown away by some nineteen fifties movie. I think it was just called Ants, and it's about these radio giant radioactive ants that attack like California or something. And you could tell they had like an actual entomologist that they had spoken to about the behavior of ants, their biology, etc. I was floored because this was nineteen fifty, and I was like, wow. This is very true to ants as you could get and then turning them radioactive and they're giant and attacking California. Um, And then there's movies like, oh gosh, the first one that comes to mind is Arachnophobia.
0: Okay. Yeah, I never watched that one. Actually, when you said which one would be the most famous or popular, um, my first guess would have been The Fly.
1: That was another one that made our like in the running list, we didn't actually end up reviewing the fly. Okay. um, Mostly because it didn't necessarily have anything to do with like actual flies. It's like a man fly hybrid (laughs) sort of thing. Um, But I remember one movie, I don't know which one it was, but one of the movies you could tell didn't have an entomologist because they said, what did they say? They said like order something like order insecta which is not in order. <laughs> um, and I was like, it takes a quick Google search to fix that in the scripts, you know but you didn't have any entomologists double check with you if that was correct or you didn't even refer to Google. Like Google's free. You don't have to hire anyone to fix that. So my friends and I were just rolling cause we're all entomologists. We're like, wow, that was so bad. Um, But we did learn some interesting things along the way about movie production and bugs. How do you get bugs in movies, especially live bugs. There's like one guy who's really famous in Hollywood for quote training bugs, you can't really train them, but you can manipulate their behaviors to get them to do what you want for a movie. Um, his name is like Steve Kutcher or something. I know he shared a name with Ashton Kutcher. I have no okay. idea if they're related. Okay. That's um, I'm really from Ashton Kutcher's home state too, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> that can be um, a podcast, right? <laughs> but that's what our podcast was about was you know, things people would be interested in beyond just bug facts. So I have to
0: throw this in there because, um, I would love to know if you talked about, um, at, at home, our whole family, we are Marvel buffs. And so did you talk about Ant-Man at all?
1: Ant-Man hadn't come out okay. in its current form at the time, because this was when I was an undergrad and we started it around 2018, the podcast, okay. I believe, um, but it was super fun to get to do such a podcast. I I was surprised to see that there weren't that many podcasts focused on bugs at the time. I have no clue now how it is because the podcast sphere is infinitely expanding these days. But I remember my friend and I, so I, I used the mic that I have now. This mic is like five years old, but it still works really well. we We would record our podcast with my mic, which at the time was on a stand and not on this like nice scissor arm. Mm -hmm. It was on a base stand and we couldn't figure out a good setup to where we could both speak into a mic and it could hear us both in good audio quality because the technology just a we didn't understand it and b it wasn't that like common knowledge these days or back then as it is now. So we'd set the mic stand on a giant cockroach bin in the middle of my bedroom because that was like the most level height thing we could find. And so it's just these two college girls who are really passionate about bugs, both like kissing the mic basically because I couldn't figure out mic technology. So we're like this close to the mic together. And you know, there's cockroaches like scuttering underneath the mic, but you couldn't hear it because this is a really nice mic. Um, But I remember someone I knew in college was like, hey, I'm a podcast reviewer. Why don't I review your podcast? And I thought, oh, God, this is he's just going to (laughs) tear us apart. And he came back to me the next week and was like, oh, my gosh, you guys's audio was so professional. How do you do it? Like, do you have like a really nice setup? What do you guys do? I was like, we put a mic on top of cockroaches and <laughs> we basically spit in each other's faces for an hour at a time. Um, and he that's was a great shocked. story. <laughs> that's, that's a great story. I love that. But you're uh,
0: that podcast is on hi- hiatus. You said,
1: yes. Um, I, because I graduated, I am, physically distant from my co-host and also it's a lot of work to do that kind of you know set up that podcast because we do a lot of research for it it takes a lot of time we don't get paid for it obviously because it's just something we wanted to do for fun Um, so it is a huge time consumer and in the middle of writing a thesis sometimes things have to give and so that podcast was one of them but I'm hoping to do at least one episode when I graduate about what I've been doing what my research is uh, and you know where we can go from there which currently my research is spider diversity on an endangered habitat type called Alvar but that's another story. (laughs)
0: You have a lot of stories to share. Okay so your other podcast which what is that called?
1: My other podcast is called Call Me When You Get Home. It's a podcast by my mother and I. Uh, We wanted to be able to share our experience as a transracial family, because I am adopted from Korea. Uh, I, My entire family is Caucasian besides my brother, as he is also adopted from Korea. I have met my birth family and I have a very good relationship with them. I'm very, very lucky in that regard. And growing up in a predominantly white area was something that my mother and I never discussed when I was a kid. And so it's all of the conversations my mom and I wish we had had when I was younger, we're having them now in real time and also talking about the current issues that face families that have people of color in them. There's currently only one episode and it's basically just the background on my adoption, how my mom and I both feel about adoption. It also has my dad in it a little bit. Um, And it's not supposed to be about the transracial family experience. It's just our experience as a family. And for the next episode, I'm hoping to record a conversation with my cousins, Michaela and Neil, who are a transracial family. My cousin Michaela, she comes from a Caucasian family. My cousin Neil is black and they both have um, children who have a mixed culture heritage. And so talking to them about what it's been like to raise kids who come from two different cultures, how is it like to be an interracial couple? What challenges have they faced as a couple? How do they feel about challenges that their kids might face? You know, as an Asian person, I have these questions myself because I don't have kids yet. And so I'm really interested to hear what they have to say.
0: Yes. So again, completely relevant to our times right now. Um, So I'll be excited to hear more on that. So you'll have to let me know if you keep doing episodes so that I can keep up with it. Anything else that you want to share before we close as far as any other podcasts you would recommend? um, Another favorite of yours?
1: Yeah, actually Behind the Bastards does a lot of branching off series. Um, So one of the current ones Behind the Bastards has that I'm really into is called It Could Happen Here. And so the host Robert Evans has written a book about sort of a revolutionary, for lack of a better term, apocalyptic society, but it draws a lot of parallels to what's happening now in current times. And then, so there's a reading of the book and then there's also episodes that surround it that come from different activists and organizations who have been active in their communities and within their personal lives to cope with the things that are happening in modern times so for example in the first it could happen here weekly mashup of episodes they brought on a lot of Like community gardeners or people who have focused on raising their own food, because with the effects of climate change and with how the political sphere is playing out there might be a food shortage in the future for the average American. And so they're talking about what can you do if you face a food shortage? How can you grow your own food? What kinds of foods are best to grow in rural versus urban areas? What are good if you don't have a ton of money or if you do have a ton of money, which was super interesting. One of the most recent ones focused on how to set up mutual aid in your community. So, how can you connect with those in your community to provide hot meals, to provide feminine products, to provide housing and clothes and all of that without having to necessarily have an exchange of money, which was super, super interesting. And then there was one part of it that talked about like parkour and stealth. You know, when your community is facing um like protests or facing police brutality what are the best ways to avoid getting hurt in those situations what are the best ways to protect other people in those situations so they have a ton of cool guests on it could happen here which i highly highly recommend because it's super relevant to everything happening now and definitely helps you i guess reflect on modern events, prepare for future events, and to really see yourself in those situations and what you would do. In a joking manner, I like to tell people that I have prepped with the grad students to take over the nearest Amazon warehouse when society collapses. <laughs> we have already split a uh, split our positions in the Amazon warehouse commune who's going to be our muscle to keep those out of the commune who's going to be our hunters our gatherers who's who's going to be the medical aid you know (laughs) okay so why Amazon why the warehouse that houses Amazon Well, you know, in the eventual downfall of society, there's going to be a ton of stuff left over at Amazon, you know, we're going to find all sorts of goods that we can take advantage of. I'm completely joking, by the way. I know, I know. Um, I was going to say, why not Costco? (laughs) Costco would be another good uh, commune outpost. I would definitely take over Costco as well, but I would have to hire someone bigger than me to help fight off all of the other strangers. Uh, I feel like (laughs) we should be talking now zombie apocalypse and
0: all of that because you're (laughs) ready. You're getting ready.
1: I mean, not to be bleak, but studying environmental sciences for the last five, six years of my life, our outlook on climate change and resource consumption is not good. Mm -hmm. And we're already seeing that in different parts of the U.S. We're seeing the water shortages in the southern U.S. and in especially California and how they're having not only everyday people having to deal with water shortages, but what about the farmers who have to grow all the food and make a living off of growing food? They're also facing that water shortages, therefore leaving other people without food and not just, you know, the immediate location. So it's interesting that. We talk, I personally talk about apocalyptic events, but, you know, I'm aware that the downfall is happening. We're having to cope with resource decreases and higher demand for them. And what can we do to prepare for those times? And, you know, now with COVID, the pandemic, that's, I believe, hurt things even more. You know, you've put people out of jobs, out of production. So, consumer demand is at an all-time high but production is at an all-time low because you can't get the resources you need to create your own products and whatnot so it's it's very interesting it's very bleak but you know it's it's better to be prepared and to settle in it now than to find that moment where you freak out later because as one of my mentors best put it the apocalypse doesn't come in one day it's a slow burn into, you know, a descent. I have so- to say,
0: yeah, I would agree with you there. I feel like uh, probably once a week I talk to someone about supply chain, right? Just because, you know, for most people, it's nothing, you know, it's kind of like when, it, when things aren't broken, you don't think about it and you just go about your day. And then all of a sudden, when you go to the grocery store and say, there's no peanut butter Or there's no, I mean, and these are tip, these are examples I can speak of personally, or why can't I find coffee that's ground? It's just coffee beans. Or at one point it was ramen noodles. And then of course we all know it was toilet paper. (laughs) Um, So the idea that, oh my gosh, there might be things that I'm just used to picking up at a grocery store that I may not be able to get going forward is crazy. And so you know I backtrack and take a look at what happened. Like you said, cost of raw materials have gone up or those who need to pick it or do whatever they need to do to you know get it over here, we don't have the people doing that. So what is going to happen? So I think that topic is going to be huge. Um, I've dealt in workforce development for many years. And we we saw this coming as far as the baby boomers retiring, but now with the pandemic, it's just gotten worse and worse. So this is too serious. We shouldn't talk about this. Um, I guess that's, on that's the, for somebody else.
1: On the optimistic <laughs> side of things, you know, This is exactly why people love podcasts, though. The access to information Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, I would have never thought of these things had I not found podcasts that speak to my interests in the environment and in history. I mean, I've gotten more education on Asian history from behind the bastards than I have in my entire career in academia, both undergrad and graduate. I learned more about Korea in however many episodes of behind the bastards than i ever had from my high school history curriculum which is you know it it feels bad to reflect on but also i feel so fortunate we live in this time where it's it's free essentially free access to this information i don't want to say it's completely free you definitely have to have internet you have to be able to pay for that internet etc but it's becoming more accessible to you know, the middle-class American, and hopefully we can expand that access in the future to those who can't afford it.
0: Yes, very. that's a great way to end today. Jillian, we could talk on and on about all (laughs) sorts of things. Next time, we'll just pick another topic in another podcast, but so fascinating. So great to talk with you today. Um, thank you. And we'll make sure that everybody should, I should also tune in and see or listen to behind the bastards and see what I can learn because I like you have learned so much about a lot of different topics just by listening to podcasts. So I think um, even though there are a lot out there, not everything's covered yet. So there's still room <laughs> for more, right? Who knows, you know, you might have to restart your bug st- series and then we could learn more about more movies and bugs and all of that. Fun stuff. <laughs>
1: Thank you for being here today. It was so good to talk to you. Yes. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to see the future of podcasting. Take care. (laughs) Yes, you too. Have a nice day, Suzanne. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. For details about this episode, check out the highlights on my Twitter feed. Follow me wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm also on Instagram at Suzanne.Whitman. That's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E dot W-I-T-T-M-A-N. So feel free to DM me if you have questions. See you next week and make time for some podcast therapy.